I believe as you guys have been in the series of I Will, I, I just love being here, love the opportunity. I, I love the freedom that I feel in the house. Let me tell you, that does not come at a cheap price. There's been labor behind the scenes that you guys haven't seen, and we get to all receive the fruit of it. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be here, and I love your pastors. They are incredible. I believe that our better days are ahead of us and not behind us. God has not called us to look in the rearview mirror and find our inspiration or, or find, our, or find our, um, our tragic pain of looking backwards instead of looking forward in expectation. That we're not looking to our past to say, God, do what you did then again. Look, God's not trying to do an old thing. He's trying to do a new thing inspired by the things he's done in the past to build faith for the future of what God has for you. Look, if the biggest experience that you've had with Jesus Christ is something you point back to many, many years ago, but you have not experienced him recently, then you're living a life that is looking backwards and not forward. If you're going to look in the rearview mirror of life, you need to look and say, God, what you have done in my past builds faith for what you're going to do in my future. So you're building something in, Lord, Lord, everything that is in my past is going to build a future for what you're going to do. And look, in the rearview mirror, there are things that God has delivered us from, things that God has set us free from, but there can be a lot of pain in the past as well. So when I look in the, in the, in the rearview mirror of life, I don't draw my inspiration of like, oh, well, you know, my dad did this or my mom did that. I draw my inspiration and say, God, you did it once, you'll do it again. Just like when you poured your spirit out in Acts, Lord, they didn't know what it was supposed to look like. So they weren't looking back to the moment when you said, go and wait, and they're going to wait for you to write. Lord, they just go in an expectation to know their better days were ahead because you said so. So God is saying to us that we will know him, that we will find freedom, that we will discover purpose and we'll make a difference. Why? Because God did not call us to make a point. God did not call us to run around talking about everything that we are against. Anybody can find a problem. Anybody can spot a problem. Anyone can be a critic. But it takes character, integrity, and anointing to make a difference. So when we get on our soapboxes, let's don't get on our soapboxes about what we are against or what we see wrong. Let's find what we see right and let's build from there. That is what faith does. Faith calls into existence that which is not seen, but that what is hoped for. My better day. Look, it may not look like at this current moment and this present moment that God's going to work. Every, but here's what I know. Because God has, I know he will. And if God will, I know I can say I will put my hope and my trust in him. Expect big things from God. Why? Because I don't want God to make you, I don't want God to make me good. I don't want God to make my wife good. I don't want God to make my family good. I don't want God to make my church good. I want God to make all of that great. Because good is the enemy of great. I'm not trying to raise my kids and not drink, not run around. Not, that, I'm not trying to raise them to be good people. I'm trying to raise them to be world changers. Because if I teach them to be average, that's what they'll always be. And they'll never understand the why behind the what that God is calling them to do. So many times we will experience these momentum shifts in our life where God begins to move. You know, in the South, we're, I know blow I-10 is a little bit different, but it's still a little bit of the Bible Belt. People are very raw, very real, and... And I appreciate that. We pastor below I-10 and 
And the culture there is, is significantly different than anywhere that we've, that we've been. But here's what I love. I love the authenticity that what you see is what you get. And if what we are is not what pleases the Lord, then we're not going to hide or become hypocritical. We're going to say, Lord, do something in me. And if who I am is not what pleases you, then Holy Spirit, put your finger on it. And God, bring the transformation. Here's what I believe this morning. I believe God has a word for us. I believe God has a word for us to turn north. To turn north in the direction in which we turn. After you've gone through this series of I will, I believe that God is calling us to say, I will turn north. Deuteronomy chapter 2, as you're finding your place there, I want you to expect something from today. A lot of what you get out of today will be what you expect God to do in you. And you're like, some of you can be like, amen, pastor, I want God to do something great. Some of you can be like, I was just expected I wanted to stay awake through the whole service. You know what I mean? Some, I mean, there's a different line of expectations. It could be in a room this size, in an audience, this beautiful group of people like this. But expecting big things. What do you expect? What do you expect from God? And then you need to inspect who you are and what you're doing. A lot of times we love to quote power verses like greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Yeah, properly translated is greater is the measure of Christ in me than he that is in the world. A lot of times we want to quote that when we're not living a life that's proving God's existence in it. We want to quote that out after we've been living like hell all week, right? Greater is he. Is it? No, 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 no. Yeah. Greater the measure of Jesus in you. (laughs) Not greater is I live like I want to and then want to throw out... He's not a divine Santa Claus. He's not a penny piece of bubblegum machine. We just throw something in. I hope something good comes out. What you sow is what you reap. It's the law of the harvest. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And then we're going to skip forward to to verses 24 through 31. This is God speaking to Moses. And here's what he says. He says, Then the Lord said to me, You have made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north. Let me set this up for you. Moses, who was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, lived in Pharaoh's household, reaches a place where he realizes his people are being persecuted. Why is it that I, I move because of what is happening? And his anger, his, his indignation that he had, a frustration, caused him to kill an Egyptian worker. And he flees Egypt. For 40-something odd years, he flees Egypt, and he's living on the backside of a desert, and God speaks to Moses Through a burning bush. Why did it take 40 years? Let me tell you something. This is for free this morning. This is not a part of my... There are times when you have to have a season where everything that you've learned in Egypt has to get out of you. Before God can take you to the delivering power that he has, not just for you, but for the people that he's calling you to lead out. For some, it may not take 40 years, but for Moses, it took 40 years for him to realize that he's not that big of a deal, that he doesn't have what it takes, but God did. And God had what it took to call him through his speech impediment and all of the struggles and excuses he could come up with. And God spoke to him through a burning bush and said, go. 
Who am I going to tell them sent me? Tell them I am sent you. Tell them I am is with you. And he goes. And to make a long we can't. We don't have time this morning to belabor the whole thing. Most of the time, you've heard the story or seen a movie about Moses and the Exodus that happens. There is a beautiful delivering thing that happens when an ordinary man who doesn't have a great past because of the actions that he took and the way that he fled like a coward instead of owning up to what he'd done. He, God takes him back to the place he was trying to run away from and said, I want you to look on my ball eyeball and I want you to tell them I am sent you. I want you to tell them that I am is here and that that you are going to deliver your people because of what I'm going to do through you and they're not having it but what ends up happening God sends plagues there's a a death angel that comes and Pharaoh says that's it I'm going to let them go. Let's them go. Let's let's the, the people go and then they get to the banks of the Red Sea. Now I want you to know that God doesn't deliver his people to watch them fail. There's something that we have to understand that the Bible never teaches God's going to deliver you so he can watch you be a failure. God doesn't deliver us to watch us go into bondage. God delivers us so we'll walk liberated and in freedom and in power and in purpose. But how many of you know when you've been, when you've been bound to something so long, you can become comfortable in that setting? There are so many times that we become slaves and we don't even know it. These people have become comfortable being shackled to the, look, the enemy had taken control of their lives and robbed them of the opportunity to dream. They didn't know. They didn't know how to set their own schedule. They woke up. They were fed. Look, you can become comfortable in having somebody else do your dreaming, tell you what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, and you lose the ability to have the opportunity to be led by God himself. And now God is changing that. But it's crazy and ironic to me that the banks of the Red Sea, that instead of knowing that God was going to show up, some of them begin to complain. It's important that you understand this today. God does not call us to begin to complain against what he's doing. Instead, we look and say, God, I I don't figure it. I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're up to something great. Why? Because God hadn't parted a sea yet. They're standing there not knowing. It's easy for us to go, well, what were they doubting for? Look, if the enemy, if an army's pursuing you that is stronger. Look, when they got set free from Egypt, they didn't get sent with weapons. Why? Because people that have made you a slave don't want to to equip you with a, a way to fight them. He begins to pursue them, and they're up against the banks of the Red Sea. And one of them said, it would have been better for us to just stay in Egypt. And you're like, really? Oh, because I can't think of a moment in my past life before I found, before God delivered me, saved me, that I go, man, I had it better. I had it better in my addictions. I had it better in my brokenness. I had it better. It's not one time. Not one time. But it doesn't mean that there haven't been seasons where I stood on a bank and didn't take the step to expect God to do greater things like part of Red Sea. Moses stuck his staff in the water. And God, you know the story. He rode, well, walked around, across on dry grounds. The armies pursued. God brought the water back over and conquered the army. Now that's great in and of itself. As they travel, as they travel, God is providing water from a rock. <laughs> When they're hungry, he's bringing, dropping manna from heaven. Saying, any need that you have, I'm going to meet it. And you don't even know where it's going to come from. Except you know it's going to come from me. God is showing up and he's showing out in their life. He's leading them out of this bondage they've known in Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. 
Canaan is the Old Testament equivalent of paradise. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. It's got the biggest grace. It's incredible. It's phenomenal. It's a great, great place. It is the promised land that God has for his children. And they are supposed to be going there. On the way, God's providing food, water. When the sun's shining, he's making a cloud cover them. Whenever it's dark at night, he's got, a, uh, he's got fire that is providing light from them. God is making a way where there seems there is no way. But the ironic thing is, as they get close to Canaan, and you read in Numbers chapter 13, these people, the 12 tribes have been assigned the responsibilities. And from those 12 tribes, Moses calls 12 of them to go into the land and spy it out. Why? Because every promise that God has for you, the enemy wants to try and seize it. But here's the thing. What God says is yours. No enemy in hell can keep you from it, no matter how big they look and how strong they seem. Why? The enemy always wants to strike fear in our lives and in our hearts to say, God has that for other people, but not me. I'm just a slave. No, no, you're no longer a slave. God calls them through Moses' leadership. So when you go and spy out the land, they bring back a report. In Numbers 13, you read this. I'm not making it up. They bring back a report. It surely is the land that flows with milk and honey. The fruit, the grape, the grapes, biggest grapes we've ever seen. They bring back and, and they're having to carry it. It's, I mean, it's an incredible Incredible land. Why? Because God's blessed it. And whenever God's people don't seize the opportunity of what he has for them, the enemy's going to try and enjoy the pleasure of what was rightfully his people's. It's a counterfeit. So the enemies of God's people are inhabiting the land, and they said, it's truly great. It's truly incredible. But here's the deal. The people that live there, oh my goodness, they're huge. They are stronger than us. And he begins to name the people that are there, all the ites, he's naming them. A lot of them, they're difficult for me to pronounce, but it was who they were. There's like, the, the Nephilim was there. They, they're, we, and they said, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. What does that mean? It becomes a complex where, God, I, I can't do this, so because I can't do it, you must not want me to live there. But what did God said? I'm taking you to Canaan. I want you to go and I want you to inhabit this land. This is Moses' dream. This is what Moses left the backside of a desert to lead his. Why? Because as a leader, it's not fun to conquer, to, to go to head-to-head battle with the enemy and, and, and hope that the people will follow. And Moses' dream is to get to Canaan, is to get to these people to inhabit this land, this promise, this beautiful place. Ten, come back of the 12 with a negative report. Negative. We can't do it. But then two full of faith individuals begin to speak up and say, hey, hang on a minute. I, yes, they were big. But I believe, in a paraphrased version, I, it's, I believe it went something like this. I believe that the God that split the Red Sea brought water from a rock and manna from heaven is going to give us the authority and the opportunity to conquer these people and make them look as foolish as Pharaoh did. 
Look, I got to tell you, when they stood up and gave the prayers, I believe God is able. I, I think I would be like, that's right, man, God is able. You know what? If I got to die for something, let me die going forward trying to conquer what God wants me to conquer so I don't sit in my face. It seemed like that would be the way that it goes. Here's what happened. They even started a conspiracy to take them jokers out and stone them. I mean, you look at, so not only are they not wanting to go into the promised land, they're wanting to turn on the two people that are saying God can. Not everyone's going to agree with you when God's call is on your life to do something exceptional and uncommon. Listen to me, not everybody's going to say, oh, that's great. They're going to say things like, you know, I've never seen that done before. Now, I don't know that you can, I don't know that you can lead everybody on your campus to cry. I don't know that you can, in the work, I don't know if you can. Look, I can tell you this. A lot of people are watching how you live, not just what you say. And the opportunity for you to conquer the land that the enemy's trying to look like they own. Look, this is not, this is an opportunity for the people of God to show the power of God through the opportunity that is presented. And here's what happens. They're like, I can't. Look, these people, if you read on in numbers, they got together and grown men and cried like a bunch of babies. We can't do it all. We can't. And the popular opinion outweighed the purpose of what God was trying to say. God's heart was broken. God's anger rose against the people. Moses begged for mercy, and God said, not until these people die off will I take you forward. Because these people would rather be wilderness wanderers than promised partakers. And Moses, for 40 years, led these people through a wilderness. All of us know what wilderness moments are, whether you understand what they are or not. All of us have walked through dark places, trying opportunities. All of us have experienced tragedy. You don't have to be old to experience tragedy anymore. We've all experienced it. Pain is a universal language that needs no interpretation. Children of Israel in the wilderness because of their wayward thinking. That's why the Lord speaks. And in Deuteronomy chapter 2, the Lord says to, to Moses, and Moses speaks to them and says, you have made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north. Children of Israel in this wilderness because of their wayward thinking. God's already given them the promised land. He just needs them to seize the moment. But they did not trust God to possess it. Do you know it's easier to believe that God's going to move in somebody else's life than it is to know he's going to move in yours? Like, oh, that's not me. Mm -hmm. I have battled it at times whenever someone tells me that they are walking through something or experience tragedy. I'm like, God's got this. Then when it happens to me, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Now, I wouldn't say that. Why? Because I'm a great preacher of faith, right? <laughs> I'm talking about that inside voice, the one that shows up regularly, doubt, insecurity try to seize fear, rob of the opportunity. Can I tell you that through this and their 40 years, God is saying to them, don't let your past behaviors forfeit your promise that I've given you. How many times did these people complain against God? The Red Sea, the Ten Commandments. This is the same people that the Ten Commandments was given. And they couldn't wait for Moses to come down the mountain with them until they built to something to worship themselves. That's important for you to understand. Look, we, I know we got so much covered this morning. I'm just hoping that we catch it because it's important to understand how we land this thing. We've got to know that these people, these people that God delivered, 
It never says that they turned their heart totally against Yahweh. But what they would do is they wanted to have Yahweh in their convenience, in their, I'm sorry, they wanted to serve Yahweh out of their tragedy, and they wanted to serve the gods of their culture out of their convenience. Listen to me. They wanted God to show up and show out when they needed Him to, but they wanted to worship what was convenient in the moments that they were circling. How did I know that? They built calves and worshipped them. So let's go back to Egypt. What did Egypt represent? All of the polygamy and, and just all of the different kind of idols that were worshipped. God's saying, no, 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 this is not what I have for you. I have delivered you. I have set you free. They're complaining. Can I tell you that what had happened was they had become complacent. When you live, look, God provided for How do I know? Because they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and didn't even wear out a single pair of shoes. It's easy to become comfortable in your current situation. See, complacent means to be pleased with oneself or one situation without awareness of the potential dangers. See, they're trapped in bondage without even knowing it. The wilderness was never their promise. The children of Israel probably thought it was normal that what they were dealing with until God stopped them from wandering around the hill country. The text says, you have circled this mountain. I love the fact that he didn't say all you people. He didn't say all y'all. He said you because you is the singular part of that statement that says every one of you have allowed this to happen. You. He didn't want them to become shame and victimization, the two-sided coin of the enemy, and begin to point, well, you know, my daddy did this, and my mom deserved and my brother said, and my, my church one time did this. He didn't want, he, he said, he's not saying, I'm going to allow you to be a victim because victims don't overcome. He said, you, you have circled this hillside, long, this hill country long enough. And the word circled in the text in original language is sabab, which means you have compassed, you have hovered around, you are marching around, closing the loop. Simply put, he says, you've been going around in circles. And you've been seeing the same thing over and over again. You've been wearing it. Look, you can wear out the carpet of a spot in your house because you're scared to step out and be counted. And because of disobedience, these people have been circling this mountain for 40 years. And for 40 years, they've been looking at the same rock formation. For 40 years, they've been looking at the same trees. For 40 years, they've been running across the same animals. And 40 years, they've been in the same place going nowhere with no change. And the Lord is now saying, I am telling you, you've been here long enough. Can I tell you that you have to understand and I have to understand that if we've been dealing with the same old drama over and over and over, trapped in the same rut, God's saying to us that if you're going to say, I will, let's say this, I will turn north and stop circling the same thing over and over and over and return into dysfunction. He said, you've been dealing with this long enough. You've been watching days go by, letting time be wasted. You've accepted the status quo of living and it's okay with you. Because familiarity breeds content, but the devil is lying to you. And God is saying to us today, you've been circling here long enough. I used to watch a cartoon growing up. It was Popeye. Now I know he's not popular anymore. And I'm not that old, but I love old cartoons. And I can't do his voice and I wish I could. I'm not, there's two people in the world I can impersonate and neither one of them are worth impersonating this morning. There are... 
Papa would have this moment, and he'd get pushed to a place, and all of a sudden, he'd bust out the spinach, and he would say something to the effect of, I've had all I can stand, and I can't stand it no more. It just seems like that is the frustration that is godly, that the Lord will allow to say, look, I want you to reach a righteous frustration that will drive you to the greatness that I have for you. Move out of this current situation, what you've been circling, and move from here. Listen to me. Everyone has a here. Your here may be different from my here. Your here may be anger. Your here may be depression. Your here may be a tragedy that you're walking through. Your here may be that you were taken advantage of. As a child, your here may be different than mine, but all of us have a here that the Lord is saying, you've been here long enough. Now move from it. And then God calls them to travel a route and not take from the people, but purchase what was needed. In the following verses, we're going to get to verse 24, but in the process of that, he calls them to travel through the land, the way that he takes them, calls them to travel through a land that was the descendants of Esau. Now Esau was deceived by Jacob, Jacob deceived his father, Isaac, so Esau didn't receive the birthright that was rightfully his. Esau's people was given this land, and God tells Moses, you go this way, you lead these people through this land, and don't you take a thing from them. This is for free too. God doesn't call you to go to people that have been robbed and hurt and crushed and take wrongfully from them. He says, I've provided for you. You go and pay them what they deserve for what you need. I've provided for you, and I've given you the opportunity to pay them. I've given you that. I want you to bless them. Don't take from them because you've been, they've been taken from enough. And I tell you that to get to this because God reaches a place. He tells them what to do through every one of the lands that they travel through. But then when they get to this one spot, God says to them, but when you get here, <laughs> take him out. Do you understand that God goes before you and knows the battles that you're going to face before you ever get there? He says to Moses, verse 24, set out now and cross the Arnon Gorge. See, I have given into your hands Sion the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his country. Begin to take possession of it and engage him in battle. And this very day I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on the nations under heaven. <laughs> Look, if God's going to make you a big deal, you know it can get good. God's, if God empowers you, you can overcome anything. He said, they will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. From the desert of Kedemoth, I sent messengers to Sion, the king of Heshbon, offering peace and saying, let us pass through your country. This is what Moses has sent to them. Even after God has said, you're going to go there and you're going to over, you begin to take possession and engage him in battle. Moses still tries to do above and beyond. He sends a net message and says, Let us pass through your country. We will stay on the main road. We will not turn aside to the right or to the left. Sell us food to eat and water to drink for the price in silver. Only let us pass through on foot. As the descendants of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for us until we crossed the Jordan into the land our God is giving us. But Sion, king of Heshbon, refused to let them pass through, for the Lord your God had made his spirit stubborn and his heart obstinate in order to give him into your hands, as he has now done. Verse 31, the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sion and his country over to you. Now begin to conquer and possess the land. 
I think we have this confusion in the body of Christ at times to think that just because God's delivered us that we're not going to have any battles in front of us. That we think that just because we've encountered Christ and that we've been delivered and that we've discovered purpose and we're trying to make a difference, that we're not going to face any battles. Can I tell you that when you begin to live counterculturally, you will face the biggest battles you have ever encountered. Why? Because when you go the opposite way of the devil, he's going to fight you. I've sat with couples and counseling. I, I sat with an individual one time at lunch and, and I was challenged. I'd had a prophetic dream. I'd had a dream about what was happening in his life. And I'm not that guy. I promise you, I'm not looking at you and going, mm-hmm, Lord, talk to me about you and I'm going to get you after sir. I'm not that guy. I mean, I, if the Lord speaks to me, I'll let you know. I will, I will not publicly embarrass you. I will I'll probably set up lunch at a Chinese buffet or something, you know. We're in, I'm just kidding. I, I can't eat buffets anymore. My wife's got me on restriction. There's a... Um, <laughs> marriage conference I'm trying to learn mutual submission so there's I'm sitting with a guy one time at lunch and and it was small talk and and I said hey man it's uh, I said look here's what I felt the Lord showing me through a dream and he's like oh oh they called me PJ but then all of a sudden I became uh, Pastor Johnny Pastor Johnny it was like I was a police officer interrogating him uh, so Mr. Officer, Sir Officer, I haven't done anything wrong, Officer. Uh, I've never done anything wrong, Officer. I was, I was just serving the community to serve and protect the same. I, I mean, it's kind of like Officer, Officer. It's just, it was going to, Pastor Johnny, I've never, and I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor Johnny, which is most of the time when people say, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's like, have you been lying to me the rest of the time? <laughs> and I have to be honest. Oh, so you've been a liar the rest of the time. Okay, glad we know where we're standing. Well, to be honest, okay, so if we're not being yeah, it's always been confusing me when people say that. So he says, to be honest with you, my marriage is doing better now that we're not coming to church faithfully. Oh. I said, well, I look, sometimes things come out of my mouth like a flock of doves. And it just, it just, it's like, there they went. I'm like, whoops. And I said, well, I imagine so, because when you walk the same direction as the enemy, he doesn't fight very hard. Well, that went over about like you felt it right there. Well, you know, we're doing good. A week and a half later, he was caught with another woman. And God was trying to deliver this hard-headed individual who he had anointed to do great things, but he would rather become complacent and comfortable. Instead of living in the promise, he would rather circle the same thing over and over. Because this infidel, these things, this was common. And his life had been who he was. God was trying to deliver him from who he had been and carry him to who he had called him to be. And what he didn't like was he had bought into this Americanized gospel that says if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay and you'll never have a hard day. That's not biblical. Listen to me. God doesn't promise that you'll never have a battle, but what he promises you is if you're faithful to him, the battle will never conquer you. That is the faithfulness of God. Listen to me. Some of us need to hear this this morning. God doesn't deliver us from back here to watch us trip the whole time. God wants to steady your walk. He wants to raise you up. He wants to strengthen you. I mean, if you're a parent, you know what it's like whenever your kids begin to walk. And I believe God's heart is so pleased as a father when he delivers his children and sets them in a new place and they don't know how to walk. He says, I'm going to teach you. Now, I can't say, and I don't want to belittle the power and the authority of our awesome God, but As a father, I know what it's like whenever my first child 
was starting to try to walk, and I'm like, come here, buddy. I was, you know, talking to him all weird, and, and my, my firstborn's got such a big head like me, and he walked later than the other two because he was all top-heavy. You know, it was, he'd get off. And, but man, when he got to going forward, he, just, he was really fast. You know, it was, then he got to where he knew how to steady that big old jug of a head. Look, all of us have deficiencies that we don't know how to walk with yet. And God's going to unpack them so that we can learn to walk. As we walk to him, he celebrates. And here's the crazy thing is once we get strong in that area and you're like, yeah, I'm running. And he goes, good, I'm going to set you over here. (laughs) And you're like, oh, I can't run anymore. Why? Because God doesn't want you to become arrogant and think that it's about you and how good you are and how great you are and what you're talented to do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is always placing a finger on the things that make us not like Christ. To say, you don't have to live in this wilderness. Can I tell you? Sometimes, as bad as I want to be delivered from the wilderness, I find the wilderness in me because of pressure and life and expectation. Can I tell you? Jesus doesn't want me to carry that just like he doesn't want you to carry it. And I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit to place his finger on that moment and say, it's time for you to stop carrying these bricks for nobody. Learn to trust me. Fight this battle. This is what God tells him. He says, now, you're going to take, you're going to possess this land. You're going to conquer him. Listen to me. Even on the way to the promised land that God has for you, there will be battles. There will be battles. Let me tell you, listen, only fight the ones that he tells you to fight. Because if they had wore out all of their energy fighting the descendants of Esau, taking from them what God never called them to take, they would have been exhausted and never had the opportunity, though God had called them to overcome this king and this ruler and this land. They would have been exhausted. And there's a lot of times that we are exhausted to fight the battles that God has called us to fight because we've been fighting everything, thinking that we got to listen to me. The leadership of the Holy Spirit will place a finger on the opportunity and say, now God is calling you to fight this. All of us have a here, (laughs) y'all. All of us have a here. All of us have something that we've been circling and God's saying, oh, you want to say I will? Well, why don't you say I will turn north? I refuse to let status quo become the average of my life. Why? Because God loves us too much. See, it's not arrogance. It's a God confidence that God didn't call you to just be average. God called you to be uncommon. Why? Because he said you are a royal priesthood. The word teaches us you are a chosen nation. You are a royal priesthood. What? Called out and brought in. God's trying to deliver us. I believe that. I'm so thankful for his delivering power. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to know what it's like to experience that deliverance. And let me tell you what I know. God is no respecter of persons. What he has done for me, he will not refuse you if you will choose to surrender. See, the promised land was just as able to be taken the 40 years previous to this wilderness wandering. But there reached a moment, if you read in this text, there reached a moment says all of them have passed on. The ones that refuse you, the ones that He said, all right, it's time. It is time. God's not trying to move any of you out, but here's what he's saying. He wants you to stop being the reason that the promise isn't coming to his people. 
Do you realize the weakest chain and the link is what will refuse the strength from being what it could be? What could the church be if we knew what we were fighting for instead of trying to fight against everything? If we were fighting for our marriages, fighting for our families, fighting for the unity and the peace and the gospel's sake to go out. Why? Because Jesus is seeking that which is lost and he wants to find that which is lost and and lead them back to himself. And the Holy Spirit is drawing people. What what if instead of trying to teach people that, you know what, I'm so holy and I don't do this. Do you know the the people in the world aren't impressed with what you don't do? I don't do this because I'm a Christian. Woo, good for you. I don't do this. You know what I do? I get up at 4.30 in the morning. I pray for two and a half hours. Yeah, you sound just like the hypocritical Pharisee that said, I give twice as much. I do this. And the broken, wretched sinner says, hey, Lord, forgive me for I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And the parable says, which one do you think he had mercy on? Church was never called to be somebody that tells everyone What's wrong with them? But to say, you know, what, what, did, what did Jesus do with the woman that's caught in the act of adultery? Did he say, you little dirty, rotten, filthy woman. I'm so clean. I'm Jesus. I'm so perfect. And you're not. Obviously, because, uh, you know, your reputation precedes you. And you've been thrown down and you deserve it. No, he doesn't belittle her. He actually calls out the accusers. Here's what I love about it. She picks her face up. Can I tell you that people that are broken, that are, do you know no little girl at four and five years old is going, hey, I want to grow up and become a prostitute. I want to be physically abused. I want to be sexually abused. I want to be hurt and crushed. I want to be taken advantage of. No little girls are praying that and see in, in, in your children's church today. But he said, hey, where are, your, where are your accusers? Guess what? Neither do I condemn you. And then he doesn't say, she doesn't get to say, well, you know, Jesus, my daddy left me when I was a little kid. I know you got daddy issues, girl, so leave from here and just keep on doing the same thing. No, he said, go and sin no more. And that's the beauty of the deliverance of Jesus Christ. He says, you don't have to circle this dysfunction anymore. Turn from here and go north. Turn north. What is your here? Let's land this thing today. I want you to take away these three things. Number one, don't settle being a wilderness wonder instead of a promise partaker. Just okay is not good enough. I love those commercials that are out right now the guess who just got reinstated <laughs> you know you nervous me too ah, we'll see what happens you know it's kind of okay he's not so you're one of the best well I'm one of them you just one of the tattoos you're not the stay in your lane bro don't you want to draw I mean it's we don't want things that are going to be permanent to be done by people who are just okay God doesn't want you to just settle for being okay It doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter what has controlled you, what has bound you. God is a delivering God. Jesus is a grace-filling, wound-healing, 
wrap you up and restore you, put all the broken pieces back together because he's going to redeem your spirit. He's going to restore your soul. And then you're going to submit your flesh and Jesus is going to make you who you were always called to be. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. As we're getting ready to move out of February and you make commitments through the first of the year, don't settle for walking through a wilderness. But stand and be counted and say, I will turn from here. Don't settle wandering in a wilderness. Number two, you are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. God's saying, hey, hey, y'all, I delivered you out of Egypt from Pharaoh's mighty army. I fed you. I've made your clothes last. I've kept you from getting burned. I've kept you from, I've kept you from being attacked by the animals. I, I have kept you. I, I did what you could never do on your own. You know what that makes you? Does it make you a conqueror? It makes you more than a conqueror. Jesus paid a price that you and I could never afford. And we get to receive the benefit, y'all, of the reward that comes from the price that he paid. We didn't have to get beaten. We didn't have to get publicly humiliated. We weren't nailed to a cross and we were not, we were not treated that way. So Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. But guess what, y'all? We become more than conquerors because we receive a benefit that we didn't pay for. That makes us great. That doesn't make us greater than him. It makes us greater than we should have been in this world and what it wanted to hold us down to. Vander Holyfield was in a fight years ago. He's in this fight. He's all swollen up. He wins, and they're handing him a check, and his wife comes in, and she's holding the check. Now, Vander Holyfield is a conqueror, but that woman, she was more than a conqueror because <laughs> she got that million dollars and get hit one time. More than a conqueror. Don't let what scares you deter you from what God wants for you and me. And number three, it's all about the turn all about the turn. See, in the Hebrew, the word turn is translated to panat. It means to show a sign of turning. And one translation of, an interpretation of the word means to either turn away or to turn back. It can be interpreted to be turning towards something or away from something. And this is the meaning that many of us have a hard, a hard opportunity of defining. And it's here that the enemy gets us the way that we turn. Do we turn back to Egypt or do we turn north and go to the promised land? Listen to me as I close today. The Israelites have spent decades going from bondage in Egypt toward the promised land. Decades of dwelling at a mountain when the whole journey should have taken 11 days. God used Moses to tell them it was time to turn away from where they've been and what they've been doing, to leave it all behind, to get where God wanted them to go, to get what he had promised them, this promised land of Canaan. They needed to turn away from where they had been and what they were doing, and God wanted them to go. So they had to start. They would never get where he wanted them to be if they refused to turn and to leave behind what had become comfortable and familiar and comfortable. And he said... I want you to turn and leave it behind. I want you to move on. I want you to follow me and I want you to be obedient. How do you do that? You start now. Start now. Okay, I'm going to run. Why don't you just be happy with starting small? 
Don't despise the day of small beginnings because I can tell you the heart of God is pleased when he sees you start because he knows you're moving to him. Come on, stand with me today as we close. Today, I believe that God allowed me the opportunity to be here to get you to declare in your life as you've been through these I will moments to say, I will, I will turn north. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I will turn north. Listen to me, sweetie. Don't you settle for less than God's best for your life. Listen to me, sir. You may not be educated enough and you may not feel like you have what it takes. But the son Jesus of our mighty creator, God himself, says that you are his masterpiece. And God doesn't make mistakes. Turn north. Receive the promise that is rightfully yours because of the gift that has been given to you. Today is your day. Under the sound of my voice, there are going to be individuals that are going to surrender their lives to Jesus today because they know that they've got to get to him. I'm not asking you if you've been religious. I'm asking you if you've been discovered by him because you've been walking wayward. Today is your day, sir. Today is your day, ma'am. Come to Jesus. Then I believe under the sound of my voice, there are individuals that the Holy Spirit is placing a finger on that here in your life. It says, you've been circling this long enough. It's time to break free and let it go and be healed and move into the promise. Listen to me. You're not going to be able to move into the future God has for you, the promise God has for you, trying to live like Egypt. Stop circling dysfunction. Stop letting the same family drama drag you down. What do you do? You cut it off. Let them know it's too much drama for your mama and you guys to go. Be free. Because the truth about it is, if you don't like it, then you won't participate. But maybe there's something broken in you that keeps going back to you as you think, God didn't call you to fix it. He can fix it. Instead of you trying to be the hero, why don't you let him be the hero? Turn north. He will go before you and he will fight your battles. Some of you got to stop circling that here. And then some of you got a land that you know God is calling you to take, but you have fear because you don't think that you have the strength to do it. And God says, hey, you know what? I already knew long before you did that you were going to be here and I'm going to supply all that you need so that you can become all I've called you to be. Today, may the Lord fill you with his purpose. His purpose.